we are continuing to look at and investigate the real Jesus. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3. It's page 1022, uh, if you're using the Bible there in the seats. So Luke's jumping ahead 18 years. We ended chapter 2 with Jesus being 12 years old. And now we are entering into Luke chapter 3. John and Jesus are both about 30 years old. Once again, Luke gives us some um, historical markers so that we could actually investigate this for ourselves and see is this a real story that really happened? It actually did. This is about A.D. 28 to 29, somewhere in there. It's the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Pontius Pilate is the governor in Judea. Herod Antipas, Herod, Licinius, and Philip. Uh, they call him a tetrarch because there's actually four. Their sister was also in power. She was over there more towards the Mediterranean Sea, but Luke doesn't mention her. Uh, tetrarch just means one of four. And so they're one of four leaders. They're uh, family members who are controlling these different areas. Annas was the high priest in Jerusalem along with Caiaphas, Luke tells us. And the reason for that is Caiaphas is Annas's father-in-law and actually was more or less in control uh, through Annas. And then John... He's in the wilderness, northeast of Jerusalem. So he's been spending some time out in the wilderness. And so we know from previous weeks that John's mission was to prepare the way for Jesus and his, and his message. And so it's kind of like a farmer who's out in his field and he's, he's cultivating and preparing the ground for when he puts the seed in there. And so John is going out and he's talking to people out in the wilderness and are actually going to be coming out to see him. He was an interesting fella. And so uh, he's out there and he's challenging them to prepare their hearts for when Jesus shows up, for, when he's, for his message. You know, people have a lot of different thoughts about why Jesus came. In fact, if you pay attention to what's going on in our world, different people with different agendas, different groups with different agendas, even if their agenda is anti-Bible, they still want to use Jesus. And so they take something that Jesus teaches or they twist something that Jesus teaches and they use it for their agenda. But what was his real reason for coming? What, what was it that he came to do? According to John, he came to do an inner spiritual work within each one of us. And then that inner spiritual work would actually flow out of us and our lives would be different. We'd be changed from who we were before we met him to who we are after we meet him. And so we're going to read what Luke has to say about John's mission. And then later on we're going to read what John said what Jesus' mission was. Um, and we're, so we're going to work through Luke chapter 3. Um, so let me go ahead and start with that. All right, so he, speaking of John, <clears throat> came into all the district around the Jordan River, which is that red line there basically, preaching a baptism of repentance or a, ba uh, a baptism of Repentance meaning the recognizing their need for the forgiveness of their sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, so 700 years before this, again we've kind of talked about this in the last several chapters, the voice of the one crying or yelling loudly in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So this is John, this is what John's doing. And he's, now he's going to give us some symbolism, but this is of like people coming back to God. So every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill would be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth. And all flesh, every person, will see, not necessarily ask for, but will see the salvation of God. Now you'll notice that when I put up salvation um, throughout the rest of this day, 
you'll see that I'm going to be putting up there salvation from sin. Because I think sometimes we, we hear it so often that Jesus is Savior, but we're Savior from what? Savior from sin, Savior from hell. Salvation from what? Salvation from sin, salvation from hell. And so John's mission then was, he was challenging people to repent. Now that's kind of a scary word, and if you've been around church, all, you know, part of your life, you may be thinking, well, I repent, I don't like that word. It's a, it's a small word, but it has a huge impact. So what does it really mean? Repentance refers to a, a change of mind due to sorrow over wrongs committed. So when we repent, we're admitting that we have wronged somebody and that we need for that to be corrected. In this case, John's challenging these people to recognize that they've sinned against God that they have wronged God, that no matter what they've told themselves, they have done wrong. They aren't the God of their life. They aren't the ones in charge. God is, and they've disobeyed. They've, they are guilty before God's laws. This takes a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of attitude. It's, it's an inner change that takes place when a person goes, oh man, I've been living for myself, I've been doing life my way, and I must change the way I think. It's an inner, inside of us decision to go, no, I'm going to do it God's way. So this is what John is calling them to. It's admitting that they need God's forgiveness. And so he's saying the first outward demonstration of this, to, again to his audience, is that they would come and publicly allow him to baptize them. Now, this was not unusual, uh, at least the Jewish people, it wasn't unusual to them, because they would see non-Jewish people who wanted to practice the Jewish religion, they would see them getting baptized. Which makes sense, because the, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, well, they're all sinners. And so they need God's forgiveness. What's unusual is that the Jewish people were being called to do this. In other words, John's saying, you need to see yourself as a non-Jewish person and the fact that you are also a sinner. Gentiles are sinners. Jewish people are sinners. We've all broken God's laws. They're not special. They're not better. They've sinned. And so this is a huge step of humility for them to go out and admit that, hey, after all, I'm just like one of those Gentiles. So what is baptism and, and what is it symbolizing? So baptism, first of all, the word baptize or baptizo, uh, to baptize is the, is the verb. It means to fully immerse. It means to put something completely underwater and then bring them back out. And I, I've always told people, you know, if it's a family member and you want them to get a little bit nervous, you know, five, ten bucks, and I'll keep them under, you know, a little bit longer maybe than normal, just to get them a little bit worked up. I'll bring them back. But it means to, to immerse somebody. And in this context, it's going to be immersed in water. Now, it wasn't done to gain God's forgiveness. We can't do things to get God's forgiveness. These Jewish people couldn't do this to get God's forgiveness. This was them saying, I want God's forgiveness. I need God's forgiveness. I know I've sinned, and so I'm going to demonstrate that physically by dying to myself and raising into this new life of doing life God's way. For them... It's different, a little different for us, but for them, it was, they were looking ahead. They were looking ahead because Isaiah said, and John is saying, hey, your salvation is coming. And so they're like, I know that God's going to 
somehow or another bring somebody along who's going to help me be able to be. And so I'm looking forward to that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to identify myself with that individual because we know it's Messiah. We know it's a person. Now we know, we can look back on this, we know that that was Jesus. He was the one who made the way of forgiveness and salvation possible. Luke tells us that John was the fulfillment of the guy crying in the wilderness saying, hey, salvation is coming. And then the question would be, would Israel recognize, will you and I recognize that Jesus is the one that he was talking about that would come and bring salvation? What we do know from Luke is that people started coming out to the wilderness. Of course, people are traveling back and forth, and, so, and of course they walked back then or on donkeys, so things weren't moving real quickly. And so you see a group of Harrison, a guy out in a, he's wearing camel skin, he eats grasshoppers, he's yelling for people to repent, and so people, hey, there's something entertaining happening out in the wilderness, let's go and check out and see what's going on. Some may have connected it to Isaiah, most are probably just going to go out to see this Old Testament prophet kind of guy to see what in the world's going on. This is something new. But, but Luke, he kind of addresses these individuals pretty bluntly. All right? And here's what he says. So he, be, uh, he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, you snakes. Now Matthew and Mark tell us that, he was, that the religious leaders were out there and John was referencing them, but it kind of flows down that if they're following the religious leaders, then the people were also considered vipers or snakes. Again, Satan is a snake, and so there's that connection where they're actually working for him and not for the Lord. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, to God's judgment on them for their sin? Therefore, because you're saying you want God's forgiveness, you're saying you want to do life God's way, not your way anymore, then what do you do? You show that inward desire by bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. And that, that word is an aorist command. It means to start now. Immediately, boom, from this point forward, start doing things the way God wants you to do them. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. In other words, they think well, we're, good for, we're good with God because of Abraham. For I say to you that from these days, or from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Whew. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree, and again, he's using an illustration here, so every person that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. So John's not pulling any punches here. This is serious business. This isn't some whacked out crazy prophet that we're going to go out and see and have some fun and entertainment, grab the popcorn and see what this guy does. This has serious consequences. This has eternal consequences. This is serious business. And so it's true for them and it's true for us. So what's this wrath to come? Well, sadly, this wrath to come is God's eternal judgment against our sin in hell. Now, hell was a place that was designed for Satan and his demons because prior to creation, at some point, they rebelled against God. But then when man rebelled against God through Adam and Eve and then the rest of us continued to sin, we, sadly, if God doesn't do something, will spend that eternity in hell. Now, only God, who is the judge, we stand before him, only he can do something with our sin. 
We can't do anything about our sin. We can't work it off. We can't, we're not going to go to jail for, you know, 20 years. No, our jail sentence is eternity in hell. And so if we take his offer of forgiveness, if these people back then who were looking forward to Jesus were to do that, and if we today do that, looking back on what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection, we can have forgiveness from God. And we can have him in our lives from this point all the way through to eternity as we enter heaven with him. But if we don't, we stand before him one day in our guilt, in our sin. Because again, there's nothing we can do to get rid of it. Now, I know some people would say, well, I can't believe there's such a God who would send people to hell. Well, technically, God doesn't send anybody to hell because he's offered a way out. And so when there's a way out, then what's happening is you don't choose that way out, which is the only way out because God can, has to do it, then you're choosing to go to hell. He's just, send, you know, it's the sentence that comes with not choosing his forgiveness. So John's baptism looks ahead to forgiveness of sin and salvation from hell. That again, that Jesus will bring. His audience's desire for that forgiveness, inner desire for that forgiveness will cause a change in how they live. So John says if they are truly repentant, then their lives will show with what he calls fruits of repentance. Now he's going to talk about some here in a second, some specific ones, but let me just, just kind of give you a summary of what fruits of repentance are. It's a, it's a life that... Um, is in obedience to God. So it's responding to life. It's, it's responding to people. It's responding to circumstances. No longer the way I want to do it, but the way God wants me to do it. So it's, and it, by the way, it starts now. You know, it just, it's one of those things where you make the decision and you start doing it. You're not perfect. They're, they wouldn't be perfect. We won't be perfect. But we're continuing to do that more and more. So we want to do life God's way. And so, again, this is a, 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 a massive step of humility for the Jewish people. Because Jews, and even John references, Jews saw themselves, well, we're descendants of Abraham. Now, if you remember who Abraham was, we've talked about him quite a bit. Abraham, back in the Old Testament, years before uh, Jesus ever showed up, God gave him some promises, and one of them was that there's going to be somebody who blesses the entire world through him, which we know is Jesus. But he said, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm promising to do these things. Do you trust me? And Abraham says, God, I trust you. And God said, because you trust me. Is that a physical thing? No, that's a heart thing. Because you trust me, I am going to declare you righteous. I'm going to declare you right." With me. But that was Abraham. God didn't say, and because of that, all the rest of your descendants will be right with me. No, it's every person. But somehow or another, the Jewish people somehow got it in their head that because Abraham was right with God, then everybody who came after him were right with God. True, they were God's people, they were his chosen people, chosen in the sense that he was going to work through them to bring salvation to the world. So, um, 
So this got people's attention. And so they asked John what they should do. All right. So here's what he said. Some specific things. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man or the woman who has two tunics, so somebody who has multiple of things, is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. In other words, give to those people who don't have food. If you have food and they don't, give them food. They don't have a tunic, tunic. Some tax collectors, these are the guys who are Jewish, who are working for Rome. They're hated by the other Jews, of course, because they're working for the enemy, trying to get their money. He says to them, um, to you, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. So Rome would say, hey, you need to bring in $100 per person. But they would also say, but if you can get more out of them, feel free. And so that's another reason why they weren't liked. So they were trying to get more money out of the Jewish people. Some soldiers, these are probably Jews who served Herod, were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. And so notice they're going to change from selfish to selfless, right? So a, a heart's desire for God to forgive them will produce in them this desire to not get for themselves, which is selfishness, which is sin, which is what, God, what they want God to forgive them for, and they will become selfless. They will provide for others. And so they'll give out of their sur surplus to those in need. Again, this is not getting God's forgiveness. This is them saying, I want God's forgiveness. It's a hard attitude. They won't gain by cheating people, by stealing from them. They won't gain through threats or blackmail or lying, but they'll be content with what they have. And so this inner desire for God's forgiveness for them looking forward, will produce in them, because it's a spiritual work, a physical change in how they respond to life, how to respond to people, and how they respond to circumstances. It says that the longer that John brought this message throughout this region, the more people began to not only go out and see him, but to wonder, could he be the Christ? And so John answers them. Now, while uh, people were in a state of expectation, why were they in a state of expectation? <clears throat> I mean, besides the fact that John... I mean, so what? So there's a guy out in, a, out in a wilderness saying, hey, repent, repent. Why are they in a state of expectation? 30 years previously, most of them were alive. There were stories going around, circulating, that there was a child born who was going to be king of Israel. In fact, they started thinking about it. Like, yeah, you remember that really bright star? And I heard that there were some, some guys from Persia who showed up, and they brought stuff. And not only that, but right after that, then Herod actually went and tried to kill all the kids, all the male children under two years old. You remember that happening? All throughout Israel. That baby is probably about 30 years old. He's an adult. Maybe, maybe John's that guy. And so there's expectation. And all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. So then John answered and he said to them, to, the, to them all, he said, as for me, 
I baptize you in water. It's just this physical dunking you underwater and you bringing you back out. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will do a spiritual work. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and fire. Yikes. His, the one who's to come, and we believe it's Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the words. The wheat are those who have placed their faith in Christ, or in this case, placed their faith in God that their forgiveness would come through their Messiah. And he's he moved them into his barn, heaven. But he will burn up the chaff. Those who don't choose that will have this burn up the chaff thing with unquenchable fire. There's this eternity in hell. John was not the Christ. He was a man. He couldn't do what needed to be done for any of us. But Jesus, who is a man, is also God. He's the only one who can do the spiritual work. He's the only one who can penetrate into our spiritual being and do the work of baptizing us with the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and with fire. Now, what does that mean? To be baptized with the Holy Spirit, that sounds weird. Immersed? In the Holy, how does that happen? And what's the fire? Well, Paul explains this really good in two passages. And so I want to read those real quickly. So we're jumping ahead now. Jesus Christ has died on the cross and he's rose from the dead. And that has ramifications. So he says this, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, long way of saying when Jesus showed up, okay, he saved us. God saved us from what? Sin and hell. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, not, not because we've somehow worked it off, but according to his mercy. By the, here it is. By the washing of regeneration, that means spiritual rebirth, giving of spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead, and renewing, which has this idea of remodeling, removing the old, which is our sin, and putting in the new, which is God's spirit and righteousness, by the Holy Spirit, whom he, God, again, poured out upon us richly. And whenever time you're talking about God and an attribute of God or God doing something, it's infinite. And so it doesn't matter how much sin we've committed. It doesn't matter how bad we think our sin is. God is infinitely powerful to forgive us of our sin. All right, so he did it richly. However bad you think you are, God covered it through Jesus Christ, our Savior. From what? Our Savior from sin and hell. So that being justified, so there's that legal term, standing before God as our judge, when he does that, when he forgives our sins and places God the Holy Spirit in us because of our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, then he can say, you are justified. You are declared not guilty of your sin. Your sin is forgiven. It's removed. It's not brought back to his remembrance to use it against you. Why? Because of his grace. It's a gift. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's getting forgiveness in heaven. So by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In other words, we receive spiritual life and we receive eternity. And so it's just being washed. Yeah, I read it all. Okay. It's just being washed and renewed. The Holy Spirit, when we ask God to forgive us, and we say, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I'm trusting that He did that for me. When that happens, then the Holy Spirit comes in and He washes out our sin. He gives us spiritual life. He, he renews us. He, begins to, he takes out the sin 
And He puts in the ability to do righteousness, to do life God's way. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. He says this, you go to the next slide. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, now again, spiritually by the Holy Spirit, not physically in water, baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. So we die to doing life our way, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life, that we too might do life the way God wants us to do it. For if we become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So if we've died to our sin, because our sin's been placed on Him, and He's died for them, and when He rose again to live for God, which is good, He always has, but to live for God, that's what we do. Not for salvation, not in order to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, but because we are saved, because we've already been baptized. Knowing this, that our old self, our sin, doing life the way we think we should do it, was crucified, it was killed with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. And so we've been baptized into Jesus, been fully immersed into his death so our sins are gone and into his resurrection so we can live life the way Jesus lived it. Well, what's this baptism to be baptized by fire? Well, I remember John was talking about the, the farmer, right? And they would get all their weed in, and it would be on this big, flat area. And it would be up a little bit up on a hill. And so they would take the wheat, and they would throw it up in the air. The wind would come, the chaff would be blown away, and the wheat would land. Because they wanted the wheat. They didn't want the chaff. The chaff was not worth anything. And so the wheat would come down. They would do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over until the thing that was left was the wheat. The chaff had been blown away. And so what John's telling us is that this baptism by fire is that there's going to be a point in time in the future when all of mankind, everybody who's ever been born and lived on this earth, will stand before God. And what he's going to do, he's going to sift, in a sense. And he's going to, what's going to end up happening is those who have placed their faith in Christ will enter his barn. They'll enter heaven. And those who fail to accept Christ, they're the chaff. So they won't enter his barn. They won't enter heaven. They'll enter an eternity in hell. In fact, the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, says this all the way at the end of the book of Revelation. He says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. These are however many books were opened, and in those books are names of people and the things that they had done, their deeds, which, again, are all sin because they've been done in their own power and their own strength. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. This contained the names of those who have accepted God's offer of forgiveness. There's no deeds there. Why? Because they're all forgiven. They died with Christ. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Again, they couldn't remove them. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Those are probably some of the hardest words for anyone to read and for a pastor to read on a Sunday morning. Because you want people to walk out of here going, that was an awesome service. But I just read that. He's saying that there's eternal separation at some point in the future. There'll be eternal separation of those who have been forgiven by God from those who have not been forgiven, who chose not to be forgiven. There's a book of deeds. There's a bunch of books. There's a lot of people reject Jesus. And there's a book of life. Because only it seems to be a few who truly trust who Jesus is and accept God's forgiveness. Luke says that as John the Baptist went around preaching, he preached this good news to people. Now you might be thinking to yourself, what's good news? What's so good about that? What's so good about the fact that that there's going to be a day where some people who reject Jesus and God's forgiveness will end in eternal judgment? Listen, it's good news. One, because you're hearing about it. There's, you're hearing the truth. Truth is good. It's necessary. Because when you have the truth, then you can make decisions based off of it. If I was just going to stand up here all day and tell you lies, that doesn't do anything for you. But you get an opportunity to hear the truth, and that's good. It's also good that God's given you time. That's not happened yet. That's sometime in the future. We don't know when, but sometime in the future, it's going to happen. But you have here today to hear that news, to respond to that news, which is the good news that you can ask God to forgive you of your sin. You can know today that you are right with God. You can know today you'll have God in your life from this point forward and all the way into eternity. And so for some of you, the question is, will you repent? In other words, would you admit that you've sinned against God and you need his forgiveness? Are you, are you interested in doing it? Do you want to do that? And so our first takeaway today is just that. If you have not done that, at some point in your life, that today is the day to do that. Listen, I, I had a conversation with somebody this week, so these first two points come from that conversation. Forgiveness isn't received through believing that Jesus is the Savior. There are a bunch of people who have grown up in Christian religious churches, Christian denominations, who will tell you, and even some people who haven't, say, yeah, I believe Jesus existed. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe all of that. I believe that he is the Savior. That doesn't get you God's forgiveness. What gets you God's forgiveness is to receive what he's offering through believing that Jesus is your Savior. Your sin is holding you back from God. Your sin, my sin, is what God's going to judge. And so when we understand that Jesus is our Savior, your Savior and my Savior, I understood it when I was four years old. For some of you, however old you are, Lord willing, you're understanding it today for the first time. And so it's coming to Him and saying, I need your forgiveness, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Now, this isn't something you do multiple times. I've offered to pray in church services, and, and one of the things that I've noticed over the years, not just here, but other churches, uh, I'll pray a prayer, which I'm going to do in, here in a moment, and then I'll say, hey, if you prayed a prayer, raise your hand. And the same person, multiple times, listen, 
You want some more good news? You were born physically once. And your mom says, that's great news because I don't want them coming back into me right now, especially their size. When you are reborn spiritually, when you are rebirthed, when you have been given, are given spiritual life, that happens one time. It's salvation, and then it's with God for eternity. You might sin but you, and ask God for forgiveness, but you're not, you haven't broke the relationship. You are saved for eternity if you're truly genuine about it. So here's what I want to do this morning. I just go ahead and close your eyes, and I'm just going to, as I do all, a lot of times, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And this, is, this would be your prayer to God. This is sometimes it's helpful for people. And so I'm just going to pray a prayer. You pray it, your heart to God's heart. If you want to know for the first time here today that you've, you're right with God, God's forgiving you of your sins, just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that, that I've broken your laws. I've lied, I've cheated, I've done other things even worse than that. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask that based on the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I I trust that. I believe that, that he did that for me. I ask you to forgive me my sins, and I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone, for my my salvation. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Thank you for being with me the rest of my life. And thank you for taking me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You can open your eyes. Some of you are already starting to fall asleep. Um, But if you have prayed that prayer, I'd love to know that. I'll be out in the lobby. You can come up and talk to me and and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Uh, And I can give you a little little packet that has some information about what you did. Uh, Otherwise, just put it on a a card, a connect card. Put your name on it and put on the back, I trusted in Christ today. Uh, If you want me to send information, just put your contact information on there. And we'll get that information to you. The second thing is, if you've prayed that prayer just now, or if you've prayed that prayer sometime in the past, but you've never made a public announcement of the fact that you are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, then you need to be baptized. Because that's what Jesus Christ said to do. And so our baptism looks back on what Jesus Christ did. It doesn't save us. It doesn't secure our salvation a little bit more. It doesn't help a little bit more. Only Jesus did that. It doesn't give you super spiritual powers. You don't come out with a little, you know, little SC super Christian on your shirt. What you're doing is that you're, you're announcing that you've died to yourself and that you'll live your first step of obedience is baptism, that you're going to live life God's way. And you can sign up for baptism. It sounds like a you know, shameless promotion, but these are coming up. So we got um, on the 21st, we've got baptism coming up. So put that on a card. Hey, I need to be baptized. You can sign up at ohiograce.com. Um, events, go to Northwood, and you can sign up that way. Last one is this. Those of us who place their faith in Christ. John was told by God, go tell people about Jesus. And he did, for a brief time. Find out that he was arrested. He was eventually killed. It's kind of a gruesome story. And now Jesus has given us this responsibility. Jesus said, hey, you who are my followers... You who have trusted me for salvation, your job now is to go tell that to those in your life who need that. That's what 2024 is going to be about. You and me reaching to people in our world, in our lives, who need Jesus Christ, 
and helping them know that God has forgiven them if they would trust in Christ. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. And again, Lord, some of these words are hard. They're hard to hear. They're hard to say. But Lord, it's truth. It's, it's needed, especially in this day and age where everyone's confused and they don't know what's going on. They don't know who you are and what Jesus came to do. And people feel like there's no hope and that religion is a mess and it's a joke and it's a lie and it's not religion. It's a relationship with you and you are real and you're personal and you desire for us to know your forgiveness and then to know you in a relationship and to live life connected to you, live life trusting you, to take scary steps of faith and do life your way rather than the way we've always done it. And wonder, is God going to be there? Is God going to follow through? And then you do, and we continue to grow more and more. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who hasn't trusted in you yet, that you won't let them rest until they have that conversation with you. And Lord, I would just pray too that they would be willing to let me know, let somebody know that they have done that. And Lord, for the rest of us, that we'd be getting the word out, that we'd be sharing who you are with those in our life who need it. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you next week.